Hi there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast, brought to you, among others, by Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and judicial scrivener, and your best bet if you need any advice or assistance in obtaining, uh, renewing, or just consultation regarding uh, visas, residency here in Japan, as well as for all of your company or branch office setup needs. Hit him up on email at info at h for hiroshi-shimizu-office.com or just pick up the phone and call him up. Plus 81 for Japan or just a zero from within the country, 92732-7755 and he'll help you start your Japan residency and or Japan business journey on the right foot. Now, as mentioned on our last episode, I'm super excited to be sharing a really great long conversation that we've just had last Wednesday on Clubhouse which is the new audio chat platform that's taking the world and now Japan over by storm. This was the first time we've tried hosting a Japan real estate investment room, and it was a big hit, far more popular than I thought it might be, actually. We had about 30 people in the audience, with many of them coming on the stage, asking questions or just sharing their own experiences and expertise and offering advice to others. And all of this wouldn't have been possible, of course, without the help of our fabulous team of experts and property investors and property professionals. So Emil Gorgis, who's a real estate agent from Tokyo, specializing in family homes and mortgages for resident foreigners. Tracy Northcott, aka the Airbnb queen. And she's obviously an Airbnb and short-term stay mentor and coach. And Daphne Thompson, founder of Catch the Beat, who's a property investor herself, but also an absolute master of all things related to online business presence. So we talked all things related to, obviously, property investment in Japan. For this particular session, we focused mainly on uh, short-term stay operations, uh, how to convert a family residence into an investment property, uh, perching and leasing out property in Japan for both residents and non-residents. We talked about abandoned homes in the countryside, how they can be bought, how much capital is required, not just for the purchase, but for the TLC that they'll require after the settlement and what you can do with them and much, much more. So we had a great long chat. We took plenty of questions from the audience and we just had a really, really great time together. So much so, in fact, that we've decided to turn this into a weekly event. So you'll probably hearing, be hearing more of these chats here on the podcast in the future as well. Now, Clubhouse cannot, unfortunately, be played on a Bluetooth speaker. And I'm only just learning the ins and outs of how to use my microphone to record high-quality audio from a mobile phone. So the audio quality in this one isn't top-notch, but I do promise to improve on future recordings. I've already got some ideas on how to do that, which I think will improve things. So buckle in, enjoy the talk. It's a fairly long one, about an hour and a half. And you might want to take your volume up a bit if you can't hear very well. So have fun, and I shall see you again on the other side. Um, so it feels like it's a bit more face-to-face than it actually is. It is, isn't it? That's the beauty of Clubhouse, I think. It actually feels like getting out and meeting people and seeing them again. Definitely. I must, I love it, but on the other hand, like, I literally just came from the slope, so my hair is still all wet and flat and still in snowboarding gear. So I am loving this that I don't actually have to cut that short to be on time here. No, no, put that picture on. I want to see that. <laughs> that, that one is not as pretty as this one. Zip, put it back down to the audience, man. I don't want to listen to that nonsense. I'm, I'm just not up with the People kids enjoying life. Oh, I'm just in the snow. My hair's all messy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so thank you to everyone who's uh, slowly joining in. 
this is the Japan Real Estate Property Investment Room, as opposed to Emil's uh, room, which just ended, uh, which is every Wednesday at 12.30, which is the uh, buying a family home in Japan room. So here we're going to talk mainly about property investment, and this room is being recorded. So both Daphne and myself um, have YouTube channels. We also have the Japan Real Estate Podcast, which is fairly popular. So by participating in the conversation, uh, you are giving us permission to record the conversation and also to uh, distribute it on our channel. So if you are shy about that, um, just simply don't come up to the stage. This is only audio. No one's going to see your face or know who you are aside from the fact that we're going to be addressing you um, but whatever, by whatever name appears on your profile. So it's going to be a first name basis and audio only. So my name is uh, Ziv Nakajima again. And I've been living in Japan for about eight years now. And our company, Nippon Tradings International, or NTI for short, specializes in assisting foreigners, resident or non-resident foreigners, in purchasing and managing and selling and profiting from real estate investments anywhere in Japan. And we've been doing this for quite a while. So what we've been on club, I've been in Clubhouse for about three or four weeks now, and we thought it would be a good idea to uh, move the uh, Q&A and AMA sessions that we normally have with people who have questions uh, to this platform. So that's me, and I'll let Emil introduce himself. Or maybe not. Emil, you with us? All right, let's move on to Daphne. Emil, oh, yeah, there so, he is. Um, I think, yeah, so, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so Zip, one thing I learned is uh, when you have Wait about two or three seconds uh, after you finish speaking uh, the home loan financing as well, so I have lots of experience in the financing aspect of it, how much you can get based on what conditions, etc. Um, but my focus is purely on uh, um, homes for individual use, not for investment. And over to Daphne. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Daphne. I am a avid property investor. So I don't necessarily assist people in buying property here. I look for deals myself. I like to analyze the specific property deals. What is a good return on investment? What are the latest strategies? How does the interest rate affect my returns? Should we go short term? Should we whatever? So that's more my part of the, the property real estate here in Japan. And I find it absolutely fascinating. So open to any type of questions from that perspective as an investor myself. Well, do, do tell us a bit about what you actually uh, do on uh, on your business, Daphne. All right, cool. So in my business, I like to partner up with business owners. So what we believe is that when you are a business owner, you are absolutely fabulous at what you do. That's why you have a business. It's your product or your service, and no one can do it the way that you do. And that's where we believe you should spend your time. A lot of the times, um, a lot of these owners do not know how to take that skill set online. And that's where my passion and my skill set is, to help business owners to take all of that online. So we do partnerships. Um, should you have a business that you do phenomenally well with, but you need to get it online, scaling it, communicating online, 
partner up with me and we do it together. We do revenue share. What you when you grow, I grow. When you make money, I make money. When we're not doing anything good on, on online, you feel it just as much as I feel. So there's a personal investment in this. We believe that one should always do what your skill set is and do that absolutely best because a jack of all, pr- all trades and master of none doesn't really make you money in the bank. And that's kind of what we do. So if you want any advice on that or any need, any kind of business owner for that, please just DM me. I am happy to assist and chat about these things. And aside from all of that, she's an awesome Clubhouse moderator. You should really know that. So, folks, if you've got any sort of questions related to property investment in Japan, uh, whether you're a resident or a non-resident, you're wondering about how it works, uh, what the um, advantages, disadvantages of the market is, uh, commercial versus residential, um, long-term stays versus short-term stays, uh, this is a place to ask them. So just uh, raise your hand and we'll bring you up to the stage. And again, this is being recorded, but we're only going to address you by uh, your first name or whatever your uh, icon shows. And uh, we'll be happy to answer any questions that you might have. So don't be shy, raise your hand. If I can just give a little bit of input. Um, for all the newbies that are in Clubhouse, and I know there's quite a lot of us here, all of us are brand new, all of us are still trying to figure out this platform and making the best of it. But those of you that has a little have a little party popper on your face still, that just shows us that you have been on Clubhouse for less than a week. So if you want to ask any question, please, there, on the bottom of your screen, there's a little hand that push on that, and we'll be able to bring you up on stage to ask any question. Um, and then that just makes the, the asking questions a little bit easier because then we know you want to say something. But Ziv, I actually have a question. Go for it. When you just moved to Japan and you started the property industry here, what made you decide that property is the best investment in Japan and, for example, not stocks or business or any kind of anything else? Why did you decide property? Um, well, generally speaking, um, I'm a bit um, conservative or, I don't know, just a scaredy cat, I suppose. Like, I like to... I like to, I subscribe to my dad's mentality, which is uh, if you can feel it with your hands, it's uh, something that you actually own and you can actually um, buy and sell and profit from. Um, And real estate comes with insurance. It comes with the stability of a sort of monthly paycheck in a way, uh, barring crisis times. Um, And it just was something that I also had a little bit of experience on uh, when I was in Australia. So I obviously didn't just bank on that experience and start marketing our services. We first um, set up our own portfolio and started uh, trying to understand the market uh, in a deeper level. And after we've been established for a year or two and we recognize that there are quite a few people out there who might be interested in uh, profiting for the same, from the same sort of uh, investment, we started marketing the services to other foreigners. Um, so real estate, um, I guess you can probably make a lot more money um, on the stock market, you can probably make a lot more money uh, in cryptocurrency and other stuff. I know there's quite a few people here who are actually into that. Um, but that's personally, it's just a bit too rich for my blood. So I suppose like anybody else, it's, um, it's a matter of a, a character and personality choice really beyond anything else. And Emil, you, what, what made you decide that property is the way to go in Japan? 
so I, I've got three little kids. So when we were having my first, uh, first child, so in 20, uh, 2013, um, I was looking to buy a house just because, well, we're starting a family. So I was looking to buy a house and went through all the process and did a lot of thorough research and did all the home loan application myself, etc. And really basically learned all the ropes and all the ins and outs of the difference between, you know, houses and mansions, new, used, the tax breaks, um, locations, um, land zoning, all that sort of stuff. And so I did it and I purchased my first house in 2013, which ended up being a brand new house in Shibuya, uh, Shibuya-ku. Yeah, but up towards Shinjuku area. Then, uh, and I, I started giving a lot of my friends information about it because I had other friends that were similar to, to me. This was, I was uh, about 31 at the time. So a lot of my peers were also mixed, you know, foreign Japanese couples and starting a family. So I was helping them a lot, just sharing all my experience. And, and I was actually enjoying it. It was, it was worthwhile and, and very um, rewarding because my knowledge could actually help someone purchase a house right i'd give them all the pointers and let them know which banks would be favorable etc and one of them i remember once someone said oh you should actually charge for this and although that and i get that a lot like not that my cooking is great but i have a christmas party once a year and i do some pulled pork in the oven for like 12 hours and so people are like oh you should open a restaurant and stuff but i'm like i, I have no interest in just because i could you know you like the food doesn't mean i want to run a restaurant but the idea of Helping people buy real estate, helping people buy a home was very attractive for me because of how how good it was. Like, it's such a good deal. The bank loans, are, the terms are so so favorable and interest rates are so low. Um, it will change your life, right? Or just by signing the piece of paper, finding a property and getting a, and signing the paper gives basically puts your family's net worth about half a million dollars to a million dollars up versus if you were just renting. So, um, yes, one of the agents that I met uh, from my initial house hunt, which I didn't actually end up using to buy um, my property, but I had a good relationship with him and he just seemed so um, so genuine and I enjoyed uh, um, you know, my, my time with him. I reached out to him and said, I think I can do some seminars for foreigners that want to buy a house in Japan. And I started doing that at his office and we'd advertise on, on Facebook and get foreigners to come and or mixed couples to come and I'd run a whole like two-hour seminar on a foreigner's guide to buying a house in Japan and that just kind of took off and it was very very good and his Japanese staff weren't able to do the same like the, most of his staff were single guys and girls um, in their 20s and I'm I had the child I actually had my second kid on the way um, and I just resonated a lot more with the clientele that were coming to the seminars. So I started doing that work and that's how I've been doing it for, was it six, six years now? My, my son is seven. So about six years now I've been, uh, I've been doing it and it's very, very rewarding. Um, and it's also because, you know, it's big money involved. I can justify it financially, right? Um, cooking and opening a restaurant just, yeah, no, I don't want to deal with that, and I just don't think it's financially rewarding enough. I was in the IT sector before it, so IT is also quite more pain. Oh, me too. Um, yeah, customer service is, uh, was my thing. So, yeah, so um, yeah, so that's how I, I fell into it, and that's and I bought my second house now. In I live in Setagaya, so I went through it again a second time, and I my first one is now being used as an investment property. So I've I've experienced both sides of. You know, purchasing 
family home, purchasing an investment property, and I have two investment property properties in Australia as well. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it on on all aspects, and I even have oh, and speak of the well, not speak of the devil, but Tracy's in. I was just about to mention. I also have um, uh, a bunch of properties on Airbnb, uh, which I manage. So, um, yeah, but Tracy is definitely the the person to speak to. Uh, about Airbnb type stuff. Hello, Tracy. Welcome. Hey, everybody. How are you? I've just finished with a client, so I'm sorry to be a little bit late. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. It's so much fun when we hang out. Um, so, yes, um, I'm, and you have to excuse, there's construction going on next door. I hope that's not too noisy. So, um, yes, I'm, like, my focus on property, I love property and I love property in Japan. Um, and I love to create um, spaces for short-term rental um, and uh, in, to help people make money in short-term rental. So that's what I do. Um, I just love the, the possibilities of, of um, looking at a space and seeing how I can fit it out and, and how people could, um, can enjoy it in, in Tokyo and really enjoy their stay here. So um, that's what I do. Welcome aboard, Tracy. Great to have you with us. And uh, I think, again, guys, just to reset the room because a few people have joined us. Um, so this is the Japan Real Estate Property Investment Room. Um, uh, I and my company, NTI, uh, help foreigners invest in real estate in Japan, all kinds of real estate uh, for all kinds of purposes all over the country. Uh, Emil's a real estate broker in Tokyo, and he specializes in helping people find their family homes. Uh, Daphne runs her uh, social media and uh, online presence uh, company, which helps people uh, market their businesses online. And Tracy has just introduced herself, so that's great. So this call is being recorded. Feel free to come on stage. Raise your hand and come on stage to the new guys. Um, that's the little hand icon that you've got at the bottom right uh, of your screen there. So if you just click on that. We'll put you uh, on the stage and you can ask any questions. By speaking on a recorded event, you are giving us permission to use this audio, but it's only going to be audio and we're only going to be addressing you by your first name. So your privacy would be uh, maintained. Uh, Martin, welcome uh, welcome on the stage. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Martin. Thank you for uh, taking my, my uh, question. Um, I have, uh, well, we bought a house a year ago. And uh, I am feeling a little bit um, claustrophobic in this house, so I'd like to buy another one, a little bit bigger this time. And I'm curious um, because Emil mentioned that it would go into a, it becomes a, an investment property, and that's the intent uh, is to rent it out. Question: Does the rent, uh, does the mortgage change into a higher interest mortgage due to it becoming a investment property? Thank you. Emil? So, uh, hey Martin, uh, yes and no. Technically, in uh, which bank, can I ask which bank the home loan is with? SMBC. Yeah, so technically the loan contract says it's for to be used as jutaku for your primary residence. If not, the loan needs, needs to be repaid or the interest rate will, be, will change to like a, a free loan or investment type loan, which is maybe like two and a half percent or so, whatever it could be. Um, that's what 
they can do in practice they will not really follow up unless you start defaulting on the rent payments okay and the other the other thing is um, if you what can I say uh, if you change the property so for example if you just rent it out to somebody and it's a, it's a is it a house or an apartment like mansion it's a house Yes, if it's a house, if you just rent it out to someone, you can, as long as they don't change it and it's just a regular family living there, then uh, you, it's not really an issue. And if they do say, um, if they, they do turn around and say to you, look, um, it's now an investment, you're not living there anymore, so you need to pay it off, you sort of say, well, I'm planning to go back there, I'm just you know moving away because I've gone somewhere further because of COVID, I need to work from home but this one's in a better location, so once I'm ready, I'm going to go back to it, etc. Um, they're, like, I haven't seen a situation where they've actually changed the interest rate in person. I do know where they just haven't found out, so of course they haven't done anything, but I have researched a lot online. On the, There's a lot of Japanese websites that talk about it. The anecdotes that are presented there are, if you've just sort of moved away and tell them, look, I'm going back, it's going to, it's going to be my primary residence, but whilst I'm away, I, I can't just leave it vacant. So they won't change it. However, if you, the cases where they do change it, uh, there, there's two types. One is where you've rented it out from the very first day that you bought it. So you never actually lived there. So you were, your application to the bank, your bank was um, not genuine with your intent, it was never intended to be a home loan, which it doesn't sound like that's the case for you. Um, and the banks don't like that, they feel they were tricked, which they were, so they they want to enforce that, uh, enforce that cl uh, clause on the uh, contract. The second case is where you've modified the property from its original, um, such that, for example, instead of being a, a three-bedroom house, it's now maybe you created a second entrance and have made it into like two separate apartments. Um, and that, you can never really go back to that. You've changed it purely to be a high-yielding investment property. Okay? So in that case, they will ask you to um, uh, change the interest rate or repay the loan, uh, which means you basically have to sell the property. And that is the, uh, the two different scenarios which I've seen the anecdotes for online, although I haven't experienced either, to be honest. Thank you. This uh, corroborates what I've heard so far. Yeah, the Oh, sorry, go ahead. The country is going digital in many ways, finally. Uh, do you see that impacting the control mechanisms because you can more easily control cash flows and contracts when you have a, a digital uh, society? Uh, sorry, I don't really understand your question. Can you rephrase it? As, as we move online and... Uh, uh, transactions become automated. I would presume that also in the background, the back office, is less paper and hunko and more databases, AI comparing and researching what people own and how they operate their properties. And there may actually be a uh, entity within the government that then starts looking for exactly this type of scenario. It wouldn't be the government, though, would it? It would be the bank. Well, 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 the banks, well, one, it's, it's private information, but two, you actually have to change your mailing address with the bank. So um, so what, what will happen, what you don't want is the bank to send a letter to your old address and it get returned to them. Um, so that's one of the triggers that, hey, you don't live there anymore. 
So uh, it probably better okay. just to, yeah, change, go online and change your postal address with uh, with the, for the bank account. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll, yeah. Um, as for sort of uh, yeah. So there's, there's a lot easier ways they can find out just by your postal address on your account that it's no longer this doesn't match anymore. Um, but yeah. So don't don't let the letter bounce and don't let the uh, don't miss a payment. Got it. Even if you rent it out and there's a gap with, between tenants, don't ever miss a, a mortgage payment or any credit card payment. I've had clients that have been rejected from a home loan because of a 10,000 yen unpaid SoftBank bill four years ago that is only 10,000 yen. It's not enough for SoftBank to keep issuing a, a letter for. However, it is recorded on the database every month for the past four years up until this month that you have an unpaid debt, you're not paying, you're not paying, no, you're not paying, and you look at the credit report, uh, there's a website called CIC, um, and it shows that this person has been delinquent in payments for four years, uh, you, and even if they settle that 10,000 yen payment, they have to wait another five years for it to be removed from their credit statement. So never be late with a mortgage payment or any kind of credit facility, sort of a, a mobile phone is one of those credit facilities. All right, thank you. Um, I, I do want to add one one point about your situation. You let, let, let's use some numbers for example, right? It, um, you can only borrow about if you want to buy a second property. You need to have enough borrowing capacity on top of your existing loan to purchase another property. So, uh, let's say you you earn ten million yen, so it's ten million yen, one hundred thousand dollars a year. The bank will loan you, your borrowing capacity is about 70 million yen, right? So seven zero. If your first property that you bought, the one you're currently living in, is was 50 million, if you want to buy a second property, the bank will say your maximum borrowing capacity is only going to be 20, the remaining 20. You've already used up 50 million of your 70. So you can only borrow another 20. So you need to try to sell, sell the property. Um, Unless, of course, just say your income is 20 million yen and on top of your current debt, you are able to borrow another 50 or 60 million yen, enough for your next your place, then then that would be okay. But even then, the bank would be like, why do you want a second home loan? Because you already have a first home loan. In your case, you can say, it's my family's growing, I'm working from home a lot, etc. Um, if you have children, it's, it's easy to make a story. Um, but you just need to keep that in mind. So if your income is really sort of has enough borrowing capacity, then you can keep the existing one and get a second one. It will be tricky a little bit. It's not so straightforward, but we can get you a second home loan whilst maintaining the first one. But often um, the banks, even if you have enough borrowing capacity, initially they would prefer you to sell your existing property. Or you could have their spouse buy the second property. Uh, no, because they will also check. It, it's not just based on your name, it's based on your family. So if you guys are on the same Jumi here, they'll ask who your spouse is, and they'll also check that your spouse doesn't have multiple, like doesn't also own a property in her name. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. It's the, the downside of the Koseki Tohon system. Right. <laughs> well, it's not just the Koseki, even just the Jumi here. It shows that you're on the same family register, and the bank loan will actually say, are you married? Will someone else... Um, come to, to purchase it. So it depends on how much due diligence they do, but 
you can play till also, July. Oh, hey, Lauren. Hey, sorry, I just want to add. So if you've been in Japan for a long time and if you have a business relationship with, say, SMBC, um, also, that will be considered for your home loan amount. So my husband and I bought and use SMBC. It was heavily based on our income in previous track record. So it's not just based on your annual income, but also on your business value with the bank. I see. Thanks. Good to know. Yeah, Laura, maybe in your case that that's the that was the situation, but uh, I think for most people that are just regular employees and don't have a separate business, uh, you know, company that runs with the that uses the particular bank, they're it's based. It's the easy calculation is purely based on your income. Oh, totally get that. But if you're if you have your own company, I'm saying, and many, not just foreigners but Japanese yeah. do now, if you have that, and if you have a running record of many years with a bank, they do take that into consideration as well. Right. Yes, that's a very very relevant comment. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In, in that case, yes. Um, yeah. So if you uh, like an entrepreneur, you have your own, or you're the Daihyo Toshimariyaku and your company banks with, for example, SMBC, then that's also helpful. They, they feel more confident because they know your banking history. So yes, that no, what you said is accurate uh, with that regard, Lauren. Thank you. Can I also add to that? Um, does it really, this is just my experience when I have spoken to different banks specifically, that the branches within the different banks also differ with various rules. Um, how, how do you deal with that? Very much so, yes. Yeah, but how do, how do you deal with that? It's literally then a question of going to a bank and, and kind of hoping you, you speak to the right person and then go to the same bank, just a different branch and having the same hope. Is that kind of how it works? As a retail user, yeah, that's, that's what you would have to go through, which is why us as agents, we don't deal with that. We have a loan officer. Um, that's so again, this is for family homes, right? For Jutaku loan, um, uh, home loan for your own personal uh, personal use. We have so there's the bank will have home loan centers. So not a typical branch. It's a it's a mortgage center designed just for home mortgages. And usually it's it's not accessed through the main like through a main branch. Will be up one of the side elevators on a different floor, um, and they'll have a, only a few scattered throughout um, Tokyo. So we have a loan officer assigned to our real estate agency at each of the mega mega banks. So we deal directly with the uh, loan officer at the home loan center um, for you know, SMBC, Mizuho, MUFJ, and Rizona. And we also have people at, at uh, Shinsei Bank and, and Prestia Bank. And then there's some other minor banks that we uh, have relationships with as well. So we don't actually... So ideally, what most what your agent should do, what your real estate agent should do um, when looking for a family home is they should collect all your paperwork and submit it to the bank and discuss with the bank. So we get the deal that the home that the uh, loan um, uh, so home loan center offers, and also because we have like a corporate relationship, uh, sometimes you get better rates or they actually work a bit harder to get us the business because they know, because they want to get business, right? So the better they treat us, the more business we start, we give them, right? So when we have a certain, you know, we've we had 
issues with certain loan officers. They're, they're slow to respond. They don't treat us so well. Or um, And we've actually asked the branch manager, the home loan center manager, to change the tantosha because we don't like dealing with that particular um, loan officer. But similarly, the ones that we do that treat us really nicely and sort of give us some extra pointers or tips about what numbers work, about how we can maybe reduce the interest rate a bit more, we invariably give them a bit more clients, the easier ones they are to work with. So definitely I suggest get your real estate agent to do all your loan application and negotiation. Um, The applicant should only see the bank, only talk to the bank um, when they are uh, well after the pre-approval, only when they're going to go to sign the actual contract um, to uh, the contract with the bank to issue the home loan. So your pre-approval and your main, the Honshinsa, the main approval, have already been done and approved without the client ever having seen the bank and never having contacted the bank, only um, uh, given documents to the agent. Thank you so much, Emil. That is super insightful. Um, Does it matter, because this is something also that we've experienced when I wanted to go to the bank, of course, but that there's different rates for if you're married and if you're not married? No, there's not different rates. Rather, it's will you get a loan or not? So there's a residency requirement for loans. So the, the three key factors are your residency, your employment, and your income. So let's look at residency. Ideally, you're a Japanese citizen or permanent resident. Permanent resident. Okay, then you clear the residency hurdle. Um, if you are not, if you're neither of those, some banks will prefer if you have a Japanese spouse or if your spouse is a permanent resident. If it's none of those, then they'll look at your uh, uh, length. Um, then they can also assess well, how long have you been in the country? How long have you been employed? And what's your family status? Right? Are you married or not? And then they may still, based on that, if they feel that you're quite that you're established here and you're going to be quite resident, then you can get 100% financing. If you don't meet any of those criteria, just say a single person um, who's been here for you know um, say two years or three years, so not very strong residency then you're going to need to put a 20% deposit, um, but the interest rate stays the same. Thank you very much. Sir, is there something you'd like to add? Yeah, I just wanted to add that um, everything that we've been discussing here so far um, is relevant mainly to residents of some sort in Japan. So whether you're a permanent resident or on a spouse visa or on a, even on a business visa in some cases, um, the rules uh, change significantly if you're a non-resident of Japan. And I know that from our experience, um, again, we service mainly investors and the vast majority of them do not reside in Japan. So maybe 20% of our customers actually do live in Japan. Um, the options become far more scarce. So there are not nearly as many options, uh, especially if you're dealing with investment loans. And then people look more at cash purchases. But bearing in mind that the properties that you're going to be purchasing for investment purposes are probably going to be quite different in most cases uh, to the properties that you purchase for your own use, that's not necessarily an issue because in many cases, um, again, speaking for the experience of our customers, in many cases, you would be perhaps paying 
in cash what you would the same amount that you'd be paying on your mortgage deposit if you were going to get 70 or 80 percent LTV for that amount that you'd be paying in cash for the deposit you can already purchase an entire property and start renting it out so it's not necessary necessarily a barrier to entry it's just uh, it puts you on a quite a different uh, scale and stage compared to what you would be purchasing for your own use thank you so much Martin, what would you like to add to that? I actually have a, a question that's not pertaining to housing, but to land. If I'm in the market for a large plot of land, the larger the better. Um, what's the best way to go about that? Because the properties that I see so far, um, even going through realtors, uh, very often they're tiny and they'd have to buy a golf course if I wanted to have 50 hectares or something like that. Um, do I actually have to now hire um, land managers who go out and look for a thousand properties or 150 properties and put them all together in one area in order to get a large parcel. What's your recommendation on that? It really depends on the area that you're looking at. Do you have a specific location in mind? Yeah, Kansai and Kanto. Okay, well, the way to go about it... Is it half of Japan? <laughs> it is, right, but I would exclude Osaka and Tokyo, so it's in the uh, Wakayama region, for example, or Mie can, uh, Hyo, upper, upper Hyogo can, lower, lower uh, Kyoto. How, how big do you want? Uh, the bigger the better. 100 hectares would be nice. I, I would say that the uh, the way that we usually approach these requests is by tapping as many agents as we can and preferably in our case it's a little bit easier because most of these agents that we've already got a relationship with um, so we can float a list of requirements to them and then get them to actually actively search so one of them will be looking at 10 or 20 properties, another one will be looking at another 10 or 20, so we would eventually get the 100 or 200 potential properties that we'd want to um, to then bring back to our customers. Um, if you're doing it on your own without a buyer's agent or without somebody who's working um, on your behalf and already has these relationships, then it's really a matter of, as you said, um, constantly knocking on doors. And obviously, Japan being Japan, you also have to run through the motions of convincing them that you're serious and you're not just a gaijin tire kicker and that you're actually planning to purchase and here's what I've already purchased. So you have to sort of establish uh, the relationship from scratch and then keep prodding them and reminding them that you're still looking uh, just so that they consider you a serious buyer. Um, but the land plots are out there. They're definitely, they definitely do exist. And the further you get from the bigger cities, the more of them are there. Just looking at your profile, I think you might be looking for flat land as well. Is that correct? Uh, South-facing. South-facing, okay. South-facing hills. I, I've given up on flat. There's no more flat land. Yes, I was going to say that. <laughs> And by the way, the comment about what you just said, the uh, realtor uh, connections that you have, they will go through databases and look for existing proper properties that are um, already on the market in a database. And if you patch those together, you get a checkerboard at best. Um, very often, if you have a large plot of land and you want to have surrounding pieces of land, you actually have to go to the property owner and ping them directly. Yes, but I think not, the agents... on a database. I'm sorry. The sellers are not, but the agents might have a, depending on whether they're the listing agent or they're getting it secondhand, so to speak, but they might already have a relationship or at least a familiarity with the seller. So it is easier to go through these agents. Hmm. Okay. Mm. 
Um, just a quick reset, folks, because a lot of you have joined us. Um, this is the Japan Real Estate Investment Property Investment Room. We are recording the conversation, so if you go on stage and you speak, uh, you're giving us permission to then use this audio, but it's going to be audio only, and we're going to be addressing you by your first names only. Uh, I'm Ziv. I'm uh, representing NTI, who is a buyer's agency and portfolio or asset manager uh, for foreigners who reside in or out of Japan. Uh, we deal mainly in investment properties. Um, Emil is a real estate broker in Tokyo who deals mainly in uh, expat uh, homes and home loans. Daphne is a, a real estate property investor who is also running a social media and online presence company. And Tracy is a minpaku guru. She knows all there is to know about Airbnb and uh, running properties for short-term stays. I've actually got a few uh, questions to Tracy uh, if nobody else wants to come on stage. If you do, just raise your hand. That's a little button at the bottom there. And we'll put you on stage. You can ask anything you want. Sure, so you hit me up, no problem. So we, we've sort of kicked off the conversation a little bit uh, via messaging, but I wanted to ask, we've got a lot of customers um, who are interested in purchasing properties for Airbnb and Minpaku purposes, but not in big cities, but more in the countryside where there's a serious problem of finding a management company. Aside from hiring their own staff to live on the property and manage it or maybe managing it themselves, if they're that way inclined, are there any solutions out there that can service the more rural areas? So you're talking about the, um, the management company that they need to get their Minpaku license. So the, the Kandi, the Minpaku Kandi. Yes, and to actively run the place. Oh, and to actually do the actively running it. Um, well, there's a couple of things to do. It depends whether they're not they're going to be looking at getting a um, a minpaku 180 day license, or whether they can see what the zoning is to see what other options are available. Um, the the minpaku um, 180 day, and actually in some other areas, in some other zonings, it's even more uh, draconian than that. You you it's limited to either 90 days or even sometimes just like school holidays and, and other silly silly rules. And then in other places of Tokyo, you can't even do it at all. So um, it is on a case-by-case basis. Um, now, the thing about Nimpaku um, uh, in rural areas is that the the shiapsho, the hokenjos, the, the shiapshos are much more to help out people who are looking at bringing in um, bringing in people to the area so um, it really it, it's really a good idea to to develop a relationship with the Hokkenjo people and find out what options um, what options they've got at their disposal to help you um, you know like I said the, these areas um, uh, you know these areas are you know, are suffering. They um, they they want uh, they want you to build businesses in the area, and they want you to uh, to help out. So um, before you even do anything, go and make a make a relationship with the Hokkenjo people, um, and um, they can let them advise you on the best next step to move forward. That would be my advice, and and it is on a case by case basis, and it is on a, a like a region to region basis. So if you end up looking at a look, sorry, Daphne, go ahead. No, sorry, Zip. I'll, I'll ask after you. 
So if you're looking at a location where the uh, uh, local Kuyakchu is just not very thrilled with Minpaku overall, you're pretty much stuck, aren't you? Yeah, uh, the Hokkenjo really are the gatekeepers. Um, so just to explain to people in the room, um, the Hokkenjo, the reason the Hokkenjo is looking after the Minpaku um, is because they're relying on a lot of laws um, about um, where people sleep and where people stay. The laws have been on the books for, for, for since post-war. Um, they haven't really been updated much since. Um, and the goal of these laws was really to, uh, to be tracking... Uh, diseases and pandemics, believe it or not, um, because you know, post-war there was a big housing housing shortage. There was um, big problems with um, you know uh, people filling up um, filling up inner cities, and then there was disease and pestilence and all that sort of stuff. So they um, so they had a, a bunch of laws that uh, on the books that are still there um, to uh, to uh, to trace and track things like diseases, and that's why when you when you get a Mimpaku license, you, you deal with the health department, and one of the things that you that you're supposed to be tracking is where people have come from and where they're going to be going to after they've stayed with you, um, and that's again to be doing tracking and tracing of diseases. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a funny it's a funny rule, but um, I would suggest that. Um, so I didn't do any of my licenses myself. I actually paid somebody to do it. So. Uh, um, uh, a scrivener um, to to fill in the forms, and there are some special scriveners out there who just do deal with uh, Mimpapu, um because the the rules. I mean, and Lawrence here up on the stage, she can tell you some horror stories of, of, of her experience of, of going back and forward to um, uh, to the Hokkenjo with just some some really silly some really silly rules and some really silly um, requirements um, that that needed to be done before before licenses are issued. So. Um, uh, so, like I said, going making a relationship with the Hokkenjo people um, and and having someone who can uh, who you can pay to uh, to fill in the forms for you and uh, to who who probably already has a relationship with the Hokkenjo is well worth is well worth the investment. And would a uh, would a metro shihoshoshi a metro scrivener somebody from Tokyo for example be able to also provide that service for rural properties? Oh, I don't know the answer to that, um, I'm afraid. Uh, I know a lot of things, unfortunately not that. But um, I can actually speak to the, the, the couple of people that I know um, who do that um, and um, uh, and see, uh, you know, and uh, see, what they, see what they advise. Um, but um, primarily, like I said, I paid someone to do it because, you know, they, are, they have the relationship with the Hokkenjo. They're going in and out of there on a daily basis, they know what is important to that particular office and they're filling in the forms knowing that a particular person is going to be reading that and so making sure that they uh, they, they let them tick all the boxes because um, at the end of the day, you know, the, the people who work in, um, you know, work in these city offices, they've got to, you know, they need to be able to tick off boxes and they need to be able to make sure that, you, you know, that your uh, proposal and what you're wanting to do fits into some set criteria um, and if you can do that, then you then you've got a lot more smooth sailing. If you try to do things that are a little bit different, a little bit you know, a little bit unusual, then you, um, you know, then you then there's a lot of teeth sucking and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of problems um, that you're going to be making. Yeah. That so 
I'll, I'll add on to Tracy's. I think, um, you know, a lot of people think, okay, we're going to buy a place in Japan and we're going to manage it remotely and we're going to rent it out. So um, it, it's not that easy. We have a place in Chiba as well. Basically what you need to do is if you're going to buy a, a piece of property, as you're saying, remote, and there's lots of definitions to remote. If you're talking about Hakuba, yes, from Tokyo that looks remote, but there's a very uh, mature rental market in Hakuba or Niseko or something like that. And you're going to want to employ an agency there that will actually uh, take care of your property. Like I've been running through one in Hakuba called Shiki, and they represent, I don't know, 20 houses up there. And when the step breaks on a place I'm renting, they come that day and they fix the step. Um, you, you have to have that if somebody is going to be staying at your place you can't charge a premium and it's a safety hazard so you know you really do need to have somebody local even if it's only an hour or two from Tokyo you need to be able to fix it quickly so my advice would be hire whether it's a real estate agent or whether it's a, a impact management company but somebody's got to be up there to take care of this property and most of those companies know the local regulations and they know they provide these services so if you're going to buy in Nagano or it depends where in Nagano say you want to buy something around Hakuba there are many real estate companies there that will provide these services to you as foreigners in fact Hakuba interesting they they just announced that they're going to create a database of all foreign owned properties because so many of the properties have been bought up there in the last couple of years and people are not paying their taxes on them because they're not living in Japan. Um, so this has become a problem and that management of those properties are very, very important. And I think rural places who have not understood that are starting to crack down. That's great. Thank you. That, that's really valuable information. Go for it, Daphne. Sorry. Awesome. Just to reset the room as well, we're talking about real estate in Japan. If you want to ha ask any questions, specifically the ones that are new on Clubhouse, at the bottom of your screen, there's a little hand that you can raise and we can bring you up to the stage if you want to ask a question. And then also, just um, everyone that is in the room, have a look at the people that are next to you, above you, um, below you, all around you. There's some really Have we lost Stephanie or is it just me? Um, can you hear me? Yep, you're back. All right. So what I was saying, just for, um, have a look at the people around you. I know that there's amazing property investors in this room right now, as well as amazing property managers that are hiding around in this room right now that maybe not ready to speak yet. But please have a look at their profiles. Um, show some love all around. It really is specifically in what we're talking about now, who you know and your network. So increase your network, connect with the people all around you. Then the next question that I have for these amazing moderators and people in the room, I really hope you can answer me. What are the current strategies um, in the, the more rural areas or the, uh, the landscapes areas um, for abandoned housing? How, what are the strategies that we can look into for that? from an investment perspective? Yes. Um, from our experience, and um, Tracy, Tracy and Lauren probably uh, can testify from theirs a lot better, um, unless you're really into it fully hands-on and you're planning to not only 
advertise your property as a good place to stay, but also to um, make the place famous because the, those really cheap properties that people uh, keep harping on about are usually in places that are virtually unknown uh, in particular to uh, foreign tourists or foreign holiday makers. So you're not really in a situation of only having to advertise your property as a good place to stay, but the whole village. So you will have to do the job that the local government hasn't done and, and start letting people know about how wonderful the place is, how beautiful the scenery is, what sort of activities you can do around there. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be extremely short on guests. And of course, everything that was mentioned so far is you have to actually have some active management in place. And the more remote the area is, the more likely that it is that you're going to have to either do it yourself, hands on or hire people to do their to do it there for you. Just just to add on to that, Zip, though, um, uh, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, of course, what the, the soundbite is, you know, oh, free houses, you know, cheap houses, um, you know, you can get house and land for free. But there is a, there's always a catch, and what you've said, Zeb, is absolutely true. Um, that said, though, there was a program a while back where, and I have to check on this um, to see if it's still active, that if you were prepared to spend, um, so if you were going to get um, an older house um, and you were, gonna, you were prepared to spend X number of million yen getting it up to scratch, you know, putting in new, you know, uh, new kitchens, new bathrooms, or whatever it needs. There, there was a program where they would be matching that, um, matching that investment. Now, like that was the case uh, two two years ago. I do have to check on that because um, you know I'm in the city, so I'm not really looking at at regional. No, it, it is still out there, and it's actually been promoted even heavier now that people are moving out to the countryside for working from home. All right, so yeah, there is, so there's, there's there's that. So, but you have to be prepared to. Um, to do the work, um, to, uh, to to manage it, you have to pay. Usually, I guess, with Japan, when you when you put money in and you're getting money back, um, you have to pay the entire amount, and then they'll refund you. Um, is that the case, you? Because that's normally what happens with subsidies and grants with uh, with, the, with the Japanese system. Uh, under very various and specific terms. So, in many cases, you actually have to. Uh, live there yourself, so I'm not sure that would be very valid for investment. And in other cases, it just takes uh, a long time for them to start paying you back incrementally. So it's not as if you're going to get a big check one year after you bought the place. Right, exactly. And, and normally, there's pretty there's some fairly heavy restrictions about you know what your family unit is supposed to look like. Obviously, they're trying to repopulate some of these remote areas. So um, to get a free house, you, you know, you would have to have. Um, 2.5 children or um, you know be prepared to do something in the community so it's not just like here's a free house do whatever you like with it it's like you here's a free house or here's a cheap house but here are the conditions that are fairly strict um, but still it's worth doing the homework um, to see because uh, it may op- it may uh, open up some other opportunities that you may not have, have seen so even if you don't take up on that particular offer there might be other opportunities that, that, that present themselves just by doing that homework and that due diligence absolutely I guess the main point is there it's really not as Lauren was saying it's completely not a hands-off remote sort of project it's something that you're going to be heavily heavily involved in on a, on a personal basis yeah a labor of love mm. um, I mean, those, and those old houses, they take a lot of work and a lot of maintenance as well. Um, you know, they're, uh, they, they do fall down quite regularly, so they need a lot of work. Yeah, so we, we've done a couple of renovations in Japan. 
Japan, like substantial renovations, not just wallpaper, like knocking walls down and putting bathrooms or kitchens. And, um, and we've built houses and renovated houses in the U.S. Um, the price of renovation here, um, generalization, I want to say, is double uh, what it is in the wow, U.S. Wow, I wasn't aware of that. Renovate. Um, we've actually, in some of our projects, we've actually shipped over containers of product, bathtubs, lights, um, some of the tile things that we wanted. And the savings on these elements actually paid for the shipping over, plus we got what we wanted. So, you know, when you look at these houses, they are beautiful and they can be fun to live in for a short period of time in a very um, basic mode. But as soon as you really want to make a business out of it or you want your family to stay there, you have to be prepared to put a lot of money into these properties. So, uh, yeah, the, the renovation, I would estimate twice usually what the U.S. market is. Uh, just to jump on everyone. Um, yeah, sorry, I, was, I had a thumbnail. Uh, renovation to our... Our real estate our agency also does um, renovations. We have a renovation team now. Budget about, like on the conservative side, about 1 million yen per 10 square meters for renovation costs. New, like um, floors, uh, wall, and uh, bathroom, kitchen. So on a 100 square meter house, you know, so 10, uh, that's about uh, 10 million yen. Okay, so. One million yen per ten square meters. Um, if you want to do a, a full renovation for a typical house, like that, that's like a, a house that's not doesn't need to be rebuilt, like not a complete dump. The structure is still pretty okay. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about buying the the, the quote unquote abandoned houses and, and how much those would cost. They would cost a lot more. Oh yeah, no, no. I, I I can't stand those ones because I've I've dealt with uh, old rundown houses before and. I don't have the capacity for the headache. Um, but yeah, as Tracy was saying, it's a labor of love. If you love that stuff, go ahead. I, I, I like nice and new and shiny with warranty. <laughs> okay. I actually love old, so I, I want to I support them. But the other thing is if you buy one of these houses and you have to tear it down, this is something I think is important in Japan. If you have to remove a house, the removal cost is tremendous. Um, or the if it's a gut renovation and we gutted a place in Tokyo, the removal cost of the debris is exorbitant. So, um, you know, don't think that you're just going to tear down a house and rebuild. You have to also consider in the throwaway and the removal of the house. And it's more costly if you're surrounded by neighbors on all sides because they have to be very, very careful about the removal. Tracy, did you remove your house or was it removed? Yeah, my house... Um uh, it was removed, um, and you know, basically, you know, a, a group of five guys came and started pulling it apart by hand. It just—it was hilarious, um, and they basically just ripped it apart, ripped down the old house by hand. It just shows you that these houses that they're not designed to be to be there forever. It's amazing um, to watch when they do that. I've watched a few oh, of them. It's incredible to watch. Um, I mean, and the other thing is. I tried to sell some things from inside the house. So, um, so when I bought land in Tokyo, they already had a house on it. Um, I tried to sell things like the gas meter, the bathtub, 
the you know the unit baths, um, the the kitchen. I tried to sell all these things because you know in Australia people buy and sell kitchens all the time. But um, yeah, it was. I had very. I mean. I had very, very little interest in, in the stuff. Um, in the end, there was actually some foreigners from Hakuba came and took toilets and, um, and other fixtures like that away. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I was really trying hard to, you know, get the most, you know, you know, try to recycle some things just to save the planet a little bit. But, um, yeah, it was very, it was very hard to do. Um, but to, to speak on some of these other cheap offers that are around, I did spend some time looking at some of the the um, the one thousand dollar you know the you know uh, apartment sort of in places like uh, uh, Niigata, uh, some of, on some of the ski ski slopes, and there there were a plenty of apartments there that you could buy for basically a thousand dollars. However, the caveat is a lot of them hadn't had their taxes paid on them for a really long time. So they might look great on paper, but then when you factor in that you've got to also go back and do and pay all the back taxes on it, it does um, it does you know get to be quite expensive. Plus, a lot of these um, we do have a few customers who have purchased some of these. A lot of these are in serviced resorts, which means that you'll be paying two, three, four hundred dollars a month in um, in fees just for the uh, facilities that you might only be using once or twice a year. So it's a good um, I wouldn't say investment, but it's a good way to save money if you're coming to Japan every year with a family of five to ski. It'll cost you, in the long run, it'll cost you a lot less than uh, paying for a fancy hotel for five. But otherwise, it's not really an investment. Which, again, I mean, everything you've just said here now is why the vast majority of the people that we serve, at least, uh, tend to focus on mansion, apato, um, residential units, long-term leases, or maybe monthly leases. Um, the Minpaku is, um, is, again, is a very, very different market if you're out of a big city. If you're in the big city, I think it's a lot easier, isn't it, Tracy? I think there's just more resources around, um, and it's, it's generally better understood. Um, but I, I'm actually not sure about the Minpaku rules in, in some of those service departments um, on the ski slope. You know, they, they looked amazing, and, uh, you know, there were some people running Airbnbs out of them, but that was before licensing, and I'm not sure how. I haven't looked at it again since licensing came in. Well, they um, just say it's for uh, whoever comes to stay there. They say it's family and friends, basically. Yeah, well, then, you, then you're not able to list it on Airbnb or you're not able to list it on the platform. So you really, you know, you don't have that sort of funnel catching um, catching guests and, and then you've got to do your own private marketing, which is a complete, you know, it's, that's uh, that's a whole other animal um, that unless you're in that business, it's a full-time job to do that. Um, but, yeah, having family and friends trying to sneak people in through the thing, like I have I have zero time for that. It's just, it's just not worth the... Uh, it's just not worth the headache and also the risks. Um, and, um, yeah, and it's, uh, I would just say, you know, there, there are, you know, look for a place where you can actually do it legally and it's just much, it's just much easier on your, on your blood pressure and also on your, um, on your ability to, um, you know, just to get finance and to just run your business, um, as a, as a business. Um, I, I love all the input that you you guys are giving this is from even me that is actively investing and seeking opportunities this is really really valuable so thank you the other thing that i want to ask and this might be a little controversial but has any one of you actually watched the program on netflix right now of extraordinary homes yes i have 
Nope, not no, here. On there, there is, um, when they talk about, I don't know if you've seen the Japan version, but there is some phenomenally incredible architecture that, it, that they have done um, in, in Japan. Um, for those type of properties, like the specific one is in such a rural and um, back area that no one knows about, and that's kind of where my question originated from for the abandoned houses, because they turned it into like a, a whole restaurant and a community that they feed the community on a daily basis, and it's like a like the local pub, not just in two ladies that are cooking for everyone. Um, so, what what do you think of those type of properties here in Japan, Trace? I haven't seen that one. That sounds really interesting. I'd love to. I'd love to have a look. Um, so again, against what Zip was saying before, is that there's, um, you know, there's a there's a lot of really sort of backwater, you know, really interesting places that you'd have to you have to make it, like create the demand, create the need. Um, you know, I'm in various tourist groups, and um, you know, at the moment, obviously, most of the inbound tourists are really focused on, you know, the the, is it the Golden Route or the Golden Triangle? You know the, the Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, um, and uh, there's there's a real push to try and get more regional, like more interest in these regional areas. Um, but it's still hard going. It's still a hard sell to um, uh, to tourists who really have the big, you know, the, the big sites on you know on their on their mind. So you know, Japan comes in with their, their tourist association, and they and there's photos of Kyoto and the Ginkakuchi and all those beautiful things. But hey, go out, you know, go out to a different town that's that's a, a bit industrial. But um, you know, you can go and see a temple out there. It's a bit of a hard sell. So um, there needs to be a lot more work in in beautifying some of the uh, other rural areas to to make it as a destination. Because you know, to get them to get there, you've got to be pretty determined, um, and there's got to be a payoff at the end uh, when you get there. Uh, can I just um, jump in? Uh, I've got I just got a message um, from someone saying let's uh, let's open the uh, let's ask the audience um, for questions. So I think that's what we want to do. Uh, any um, uh, audience members, if you have a question, please push the raise hand button, and uh, we'll bring you up to a. Uh, uh, answer any question you may have. Oh, we got one. Oh, Christina, hello. While we, oh, welcome, Christina. Do you want to ask your question? Hello. Yes. Um, I, my husband and I just bought a small house in on the Izu Peninsula last year, last summer. Uh, knowing that we weren't going to be able to go anywhere so that we would have some place to get out of Tokyo too. It's a really small place. Um, yeah, I'm 500 square meter, uh, five, I'm sorry, 50 square meters, teeny, uh, but it's right on the ocean. It's right on the beach, on a rocky beach. And um, my questions, you know, so we, we have this sort of a mayor, I'm from the States and we've been here for about three or four years. And of course my thought was, of course, we'll make it nice We'll stay in it sometime, and then we can Airbnb it. And I'm realizing that there's a lot of um, issues that we didn't realize we we're going to have to jump through. And in such a small town, so we're in this town called Futo, which is on the Jogasaki Coast area. I'm kind of just wondering. I didn't know much about it, but and then I'm listening to what you said about um, what uh, Tracy was, I think, saying about the fact that nobody goes off of the the golden the golden path, right? So I'm just wondering if, if uh, 
my question is really, you know, what can I do to make sure that if we wanted to do an Airbnb, that we were seen? And whether, and the other question is, 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 is the Jokesaki Coast, is that part of Izu um, well known or not? Um, so those are just kind of my general questions. I might just jump in there before Tracy and Lauren answer that and just... Uh, have you at all considered monthly rentals as opposed to Airbnb? I mean, what they call monthly mansion is usually more for apartments, but the same sort of thing. So with an actual lease in place, so it doesn't fall under Minpaku legislation. And then there are a lot less hoops to jump through. I actually hadn't thought of that. And I didn't realize um, the legislation with, the, I don't even know how to say it, Minpaku. I, the, I didn't realize that, that there was such a, um, that that's a great idea. Um, so like a monthly, maybe in the, in the good seasons in spring and fall, and maybe the, those would be seasons we could rent yeah, it so for Christina, a month at a time. Christina, we've moved away from Airbnb, and we're doing only monthly. And the regulations in Tokyo, and I believe they'll be the same down there, are anything over 30 days. You just need a short-term contract. I can give you mine. And um, you basically have the person sign that, and it falls outside of the, the Airbnb slash Minpaku. Yeah, it's a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, so oh, that's, and then, and that's yeah. wonderful, because then I could, I mean, I could be the person that does the setup and the takedown, right? It doesn't have to be, although then I still need somebody local if there's any problems. I need somebody to take care of it, if that, you know somebody who's um, local, like you were saying, Lauren, that there needs to be somebody who's there. If, if something breaks. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the person, Christina, that you hire to actually make some of the changes that you want. So the guy who built our place down in Chiba, he's basically our, has taken on not the stay management, but he, if anything breaks because we have this long relationship with him, he goes and he fixes it. So put a lot of research into whoever you hire down there to make your improvements. Make sure they're very local and um, just build a great relationship with that person, and you can totally that's, do it. That's a great advice, great advice. Thank you so much. And, and, and is, is Izu on anybody's list? You know, like, is, I love Izu. Should be, I, I think so, I knew about it. <laughs> so, Christine, I mean, if you, I mean, if you want to jump on a call with me, like, you know, just, uh, you know, DM me through Instagram, just come and have a call with me. I can walk you through some of these steps um, easily, no problem at all. Um, so the thing about um, the thing about making an Airbnb is that if you don't have a license, you will not be able to list on Airbnb. It's just, Got it. you just won't. Um, and, you know, it used to be that you could actually list monthly rentals on Airbnb, Um if you had it before the regulations changed, then you could have. Then it was sort of grandfathered in, and you could still you could still have it. Um, so I've got some monthly rentals still on there, um, but um, uh, but if you if it's for any new listing that you make, you cannot put a short like you cannot list on Airbnb or any of the platforms um, unless you have that license number. Um, got it. But you know, it's it's possible that you might be able to get one in that area again it really comes down to where you are and then the then um finding out what the zone is and finding out if there's sort of uh, if there's any uh uh incentive not incentive if there's any sort of desire by the by the the local authorities to uh to help you out in that area so um but yeah build, building up your local relationships um to uh will be able they'll be able to tell you that information 
Um, it, it, who did you buy it from? Was it from a realtor? And they could be at the yeah, same from a realtor. Place. We bought it from a realtor, that, and we that, did. We bought it. We bought it. We we didn't get a loan. We just paid for it, nice. so we didn't have to go through all that process. Yeah, Isu, but it wasn't. I mean, it, sorry. I was just going to say, Izu is is probably you know you know even though you're kind of rural, it's still. Um, that's still a, a good place because it has a lot of domestic demand for, uh, for for long-term residents, like foreign residents here in Japan. It's very well known on that. Um, you know, when I was talking remote, I was sort of talking, you know, backwaters, you know, back in behind Gifu somewhere that you have to take three hours to get there. So, um, got it, but, got it. But, but Izu is, you know, because you've got Shimoda and the uh, Roppongi on the beach down there, so it's um, uh, it is it is high on demand. Um, the, the, the thing about short-term rentals in Japan, and, and Airbnb have to do a lot of work in this, is that there's not a lot of domestic demand. Um, the demand is people who are um, long-term foreign residents or English speakers or people who are kind of used to that, um, you know, working online in, in the peer, in the um, uh, in the, the gig economy. Um, it just hasn't hit the, the regular domestic demand yet because everyone t- does tend to stay in Yorkan or even Minshuku. Um, or hotels, just the whole Minpaku really hasn't taken off like the way it's embedded itself into the into the travel um, the, the travel mindset of domestic travel in in the US, for example. Interesting. That's really fascinating. Great, Tracy. I'll um, I'll ping you directly. We I have other things I want to ask you anyway. But I, this has been fabulous. Thank you all for your um, for your. Um, knowledge. I just, I, there's just, I've never been able to have kind of this kind of conversation <laughs> with many people. That's like amazing. Also. You're very welcome, Christine. Very Thank welcome. You. I was going to say that I do think you should connect with Tracy. She has really phenomenal insights. And also, if you just go check out her new website, um, there's really, really amazing, handy things that you can just download and read from immediately. The other thing that I just wanted to add for you for the Izu place, if you want to go into um, renting it out and things like that is to create a demand and you also need to create a, um, a presence of it for on social media even if it is only for uh, foreigners within Japan the groups that are currently on there is so tightly knit that they do tend to support one another quite a lot so I would strongly suggest that if you go that route to make an asset make your asset work for you to also create a social media presence for it that would just great and add it uh, that's yeah. great. That's great advice, and I totally agree with you. I feel like the uh, the foreigners, expats here in, in Japan, are very um, uh, supportive of each other. It's very cool. Uh, I just yeah, wanted I, to. I, sorry, I, go for it, Tracy. I was just going to say as well. I mean, and then you know, if you've got if you've got your own sort of real estate in terms of like uh, web real estate or social media real estate, you can be using Facebook ads and, and all those normal digital marketing tools to be driving driving direct traffic to your direct booking website. You don't need to rely on the Airbnb. It is a lot more work, um, but if you've got a, you know, um, if you've got, um, you know, if you know what you're doing in the direct booking space, then you can actually create your own demand that way. Um, A lot of people rely on the sort of marketing fund of the Airbnb platform, but you don't necessarily have to. Um, But it is like, it it is a commitment. I'm I'm not going to lie. It depends on your business goals, whether you want it just to pay the bills or whether you actually want it as a as a profit generating um, asset. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, and the thank other you. thing is, when you do an Airbnb or on any kind of platform, 
that platform owns your clientele, where if you are able to do it on a social media platform or on your own type of website or any direct kind of booking, you own the clientele, which means you can build your database and you can actually build some sort of business if that is your goal. But the big thing is to always own the database, to own the clientele or the contacts there so that you can remarket. For example, in a, when there's a holiday that's coming up that you guys are not using the place yourself or if there's something else that you want to communicate with it. Direct marketing or direct inboxing is still the most effective way to just communicate with someone of what you want to tell them. That's wonderful. That's super good advice as well. That's true. I thought about that, 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 that uh, the people that you work with, you wouldn't get if you were with working with Airbnb. Airbnb. They don't, they because they're, they're owned by Airbnb. Yeah, that's interesting. Thank you. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate this. Just one last note. It's worth noting that if you don't want to be hands-on, um, it is a little bit easier to find management companies for the monthly rentals business, and then they will also have their own advertising platform, and they don't necessarily have to be in that location because monthly tenants don't need anybody to come check in and check out and clean the place. They usually get once a week or once a month service. So if you're in Izu, for example, uh, I'm guessing there'd be quite a few Shizuoka City companies that would be able to help you with that. Not as many as normal property managers who handle long-term leases, uh, but there should be at least two or three of them that would be available to you. That's great. Wonderful. All right. Thank you all for all of your advice. Such great help. Great thinking on all this. Thank you very much for your expertise. You're very welcome, Christina. Eric. Yes. Welcome to the stage. What questions do you have for us? Uh, Well, yeah, I had a question. So my wife and I are looking at uh, moving now. She's, she's, we're from the U.S. She's a dual citizen. Um, we, should we encounter any issues with purchasing property? Nope, none whatsoever. Um, the only issue you would be running into is uh, more of a cultural and language issue. So there are no legal limitations on anybody purchasing in Japan from overseas. It's actually the only country in the Asia-Pacific region that doesn't have limitations on foreign buyers. So... The, the limitations that you would be running into are more related to um, finding people that will actually be able to wrap their heads around the concept of working with a foreigner, especially if the foreigner is um, overseas. So there are solutions to that. And if you're purchasing in internationally renowned locations like uh, Tokyo, you've got people like Emil uh, Osaka. Sorry? I think you're cutting out. Can you repeat what you said? Sorry, how, how far did I get? <laughs> the issues with foreigners buying? Yeah, so in major international uh, locations like uh, Tokyo, Osaka, um, Niseko, and um, let's say close to the U.S. Army bases, for example, so uh, in Yokosuka and Okinawa, there are agents that cater to foreigners, but if you're looking at other locations, it becomes a bit more challenging. And the other is, y- you mentioned... Your wife is a dual national. Is that Japanese dual national? Yes. Okay. So does she have a local uh, bank account and address that she can uh, she can provide to uh, service providers? Uh, I don't think she does at this time, but her her family her family does. Um, she has her sisters are living there, and her grandmother and uncles things are living there. Okay. And the place that you were looking to buy was that for investment purposes? Well, kind of both. What we're looking to do is is um, spend part of our year in Japan, and then 
be away part of the time and rent it out when we're gone. Um, okay, so again, not not yeah. long term leases, short term leases of some sort, yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what was, was the thought. Okay, well, in that case, um, I think maybe the first hurdle would be the purchase itself, and after that, everything that we've just spoken about with management. Um, so for the purchase, do you have any specific locations in mind? Um, well, we, our family is from Machida area, um, and so we want to be, but we want to be somewhere in central uh, Tokyo area. Okay, well, in so, Tokyo, you've definitely got uh, Emil, who, who's very good at what he does, uh, helping expats purchase property. And I think probably the main criteria in your case would be um, a family or a holiday home and then get whatever you can get off it as investment when you're not there. Is that about right? Yeah, that's about right. Mm -hmm. um, we, we considered uh, having one of our sisters stay on the property full time and, and take care of the property. Um, you know, I don't know if there would there be any issues with that. Well, I think. Uh, sorry, go for it, Tracy. I was just going to say um, this is something that I actually specialize in. Um, most of my most of my portfolio uh, these days um, is co-hosting. Um, this is for short-term rental. I co-host for people who spend part of their time here in Japan, part of their time overseas, and then when they're not when they're not um, when they're not here. Um, I rented out um, as a short-term rental, so um, I can advise you on that. Um, but the, and also Emil can advise you on that as well. So the the advice would be make sure that you choose a place that is in the right zoning. If you're wanting to do it short-term rental, it um, you need to make sure that it's not just weekends. Uh, if you want to maximise your investment. Um, uh, you pick a place where you can do a, a, a mid-packed license, uh, the 180 days, um, and uh, rather than just the 90 days, and that actually works well when you're doing a um, uh, when you are away half the time and you're here half the time because you can you're only supposed to rent 180 days, and that works really well um, for that model. If you try to do a house where your profit relies on renting 365 days um, with the new rules, it, it really did cut out a lot of people from the market um, so it, it does work very well with that with that model that you're talking about okay I see uh, 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 so, so you, you neither you nor your wife are resident here correct I'm so say again so uh, which country do you live in the United States okay um, sure right, and will be we be doing finance or I guess the intention is just uh you, know, you sort out financing somehow, but you just want to buy a place um, in in the central Tokyo area. Oh yeah, that that would be that would be good, and that was my next question was about the finance because we're 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 both self employed. Would be a better idea for us to just buy it outright, or so you. I, my understanding, and like so, I work with generally local residents that are trying to get a typical home loan. Here, but they, they live here, which is why they can justify it. And they, their income is sourced domestically. Uh, if you have, if you're being paid from a foreign source and you're not even resident here, you can't get a, a typical home loan from a Japanese bank. But uh, so I can't help you. Maybe Ziv, uh, do you have any experience with home loans for, in this sort of case, foreign mm -hmm. national, foreign residents trying to? 
buy an investment property or any property in Japan? Not with home loans, unfortunately. With investment property, um, there are two or three vendors that can provide loans, but they require that you set up a local company for that purpose. So then you're looking at something between two to four thousand bucks a year just for company upkeep, for accounting and corporate tax and so forth. Um, which is probably not going to be very cost-effective uh, for the scenario that you're describing. So it might be a cash purchase if you're not actually residents with Japanese income. Okay, let's see. Sure, so yeah, if you came to, yeah, I can I'll definitely help you with the cash purchase because we're located in Greece, um, so quite central, and we focus in the, in the central Tokyo area. So again, feel free to send me a message via Instagram, the DM via Instagram in my profile, and I can talk to you about, you know, the, the property search. But yeah, assume it's going to be largely, as far as Japan banks are concerned, um, they, they won't finance you, so you'll either need to be financing yourself from the US or a cash purchase. And then Tracy is definitely your, your host queen for how to run it and host it um, whilst you're away. Okay, great. All right, so if we've got anybody else who wants to speak on the stage, the conversation is being recorded, but we're only going to be referring to you by your first name or your nickname as it shows up on your profile. Um, don't be shy to uh, raise your hand. That's a little button at the bottom there, and we'll bring you up to the stage to ask any more questions if you've got them. Yep, Grace, welcome to the stage. Hi, everyone. Um calling in from Brisbane, Australia. Um, yeah, I'm from the Gold Coast, yay. Hi, hi. <laughs> I'm from uh, Brisbane. Hi, Tracy. I'm calling from Tawong. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I used to live in Japan um, three years in Tokyo and um, uh, still visit every few years. Um, I'm one of those people that could have stayed many years longer but um, came back to Australia for other reasons. Um, so I've still got that bug of, you know, maybe one day I'll return, um, maybe when the kid is finished school, something like that, maybe take a year um, and come over. Um, and we do have some um, capital that we could put towards another property. Um, just wondering, you know, from time to time you see some um, media about villages that are looking for foreigners or new residents, you know, like selling houses for, maybe I'm exaggerating, but 100 yen, you know, like those kind of crazy discount, crazy discount houses. Is there anything in that? Has anyone got experience in buying a cheap property? Um, I'm just super curious. So we, we've had a bit of a discussion on that, um, I think maybe before you joined. Um, they do exist, but are you planning to actually um, move to Japan on a permanent basis, as in you're going to be a resident, or going to be staying here at least six months every year? Great question. Um, so my partner's an engineer, and so work is really um, projects-based. So for now, we're in Brisbane because there's work here. Uh, but at any moment, um, the industry can go another direction. And, um, and that I've always said, like I've been saying for the six years, um, you know, at that junction, it would be an option to then 
return, go move the family to Japan for a period of time. But it's speculative. There's no plan as such. It's just a pipe dream. Well, most of the programs that are aimed, and they're not aimed specifically towards foreigners, they're aimed towards anyone who wants to live in the country, but they're very much, um, they're very much tied into you actually living there and contributing to the local economy, uh, setting up business or taking on jobs that are um, required in that particular area. So I'm not sure until you're actually here and uh, can inquire as a resident, I'm not sure how many options. I mean, you, you can definitely buy a cheap house, um, but as we were uh, mentioning before, you're going to be, you're not going to be, probably not going to be eligible for any of the um, special grants and the compensation for renovation and so forth. So you would have to um, uh, allocate capital and do the work yourselves. I'm not sure if that's something you were considering. That all makes sense, and thank you for the response. And I'm sorry I missed the beginning of the conversation. Well, it's going to be um, it's going to be recorded, and it's going to be if you guys follow me, there are links in my profile uh, to the Japan Real Estate Podcast, and I believe on Daphne's YouTube channel as well, so you can catch up there. Super. Yeah. You can cut out my question then. Edit. Edit. <laughs> no problem. Grace, I actually want to add something to that. Because as a foreigner in Japan, um, of course, I like property, I invest in property. And one of the biggest learnings that I had to go through when it comes to more affordable properties, that usually there's a catch. Um, I didn't know what the catch was, but this specific one that we thought was going to get a really good return on investment um, was called a Jikubuken property. Now, what we learned, what those ones are, is that someone has some someone has died in the property of an unnatural cause. And that basically creates a very a stigma in the property that it loses its value. So basically the property is only worth what the land it is built on. And that was a massive learning curve for us, uh, specifically because we didn't realize that that's a thing. Yeah, um, we just thought this could be a really good property to buy it at a very low market, prop, uh, market rates and rent it out and make a, a quick buck, but that was not the case. So whenever you do go into a more affordable type of property investment in Japan, find out why and you'll do your due diligence like more than in other countries. That, that's the only type of advice that I can really give you for that. Thank you um, for pointing that out. I was aware of that um, that uh, phenomenon. So typically, um, yeah, murders, all that kind of thing. Oh, suicides. But it's not only that. It yeah. can be a case that the property has been massively discounted because um, if and when the time comes to tear it down, you're no longer going to be able to build anything there because local zoning regulations have changed. It could be a case that um, the land plot is not big enough to allow for parking and then you have to park a kilometer or two down the road if you have a car. So there are all sorts of little caveats that you really want to look into with these older properties. Pleasure. Anyone else? Otherwise, we're probably slowly going to be wrapping it up. So if anyone else has got any um, questions that they'd like to ask, now is the time. I just wanted to know when, where I can hear the repeat, the recorded version of this. Um, so again, on my profile, there's a link. Um, it's not actually a link. You have to uh, type in the text. But if you just um, search anywhere online for Japan Real Estate Podcast, we're always um, 
or in the iTunes store on Google were usually the first result that you'll get. And uh, we also have a YouTube channel, but uh, as far as YouTube goes, uh, Daphne is the place to look at. Thank you so much. All right, and thank you everybody else for uh, joining us. It's been a really great conversation. We're probably going to have it on a regular basis right after Emil's uh, 12.30. So if you're not aware of it yet, Emil has a Wednesday 12.30 uh, buying a home in Tokyo uh, room, which is more like buying a home in Japan, really. And he talks all about mortgages and family homes and so forth. And then from 2 to 3.30 is going to be our real estate property investment room again. So you're very welcome to... Click on our profiles, follow us, send us DMs if there's anything that you want to discuss um, offline and more privacy. And uh, otherwise, we'll leave the room open for another few minutes, and then we'll call it a day. Thank you, everyone, again. Thanks, Siv. You're awesome. Thanks, Daphne and Emil. It's always such a fun time to hang out with you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. Love it. All right, so that was it. Our very first Clubhouse Japan real estate property investment talk. And if you're not on Clubhouse yet and you do want to get in on the fun, not just for our room, but for the endless amount of different rooms and topics and speakers that are out there 24-7, so some very big names like Elon Musk, Gary Vaynerchuk, um, Chris Voss, Guy Kawasaki, many, many, many more. So drop us a line in the comments section or via direct message and we'll try to hook you up with an invite. And if you want to make sure that you have a beautiful profile photo to go along with your Clubhouse profile or with any of your social media profiles, or you just need some high quality snaps of your upcoming event, whether it's a personal one or a business seminar or anything else, and you're based in Tokyo, be sure to get in touch with our sponsor, Alex Watanabe of snaps.talk. Alex provides excellent and affordable photography and videography services at very, very affordable prices. Let me mention that again, starting at only 3,000 yen. That's less than 30 bucks. You can check out his work on this episode show notes. We'll link to his profiles, his email address, and to a gallery of photos that he's done for us at our last face-to-face -face business seminar way back in 2019, which was like a lifetime ago. Don't be shy. Get in touch with Alex Watanabe on snaps.talktok at gmail.com or via his Instagram account, Tokyo Night Owl, and he'll sort you right out. And if you've got a business or project that you'd like to promote to English speakers who are either based in Japan or have some sort of affiliation with Japan, which is pretty much all of our listeners, we don't know exactly how many of them there are out there, but we do know that we're at well over 10,000 full episode downloads of streams every year. So plenty of years there. Don't be shy to reach out to us and ask us about our sponsorship programs. They're a lot cheaper than you think. And we'll get you in front of all of these people or rather into their ears. So that's it from us for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed our first Clubhouse talk. There'll probably be many more of these to come. And we hope to have you joining us for at least some of them. So if you have enjoyed this episode, please share the love and share it with your networks. And do leave us a star rating. It's just a quick click. Or better yet, a short review on the iTunes store. It would mean the world to us. Hope to have you with us again next time here on the Japan Real Estate Podcast. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku.